I don't think it depends on the person at all. I think it depends on the, the importance of the goal. Are you looking to build muscle or shed body fat in the new year? Or do you want to help your clients and athletes get into amazing shape in 2024? If so, today's podcast with Cody McBroom is definitely going to get you started on the right foot. Cody is the founder and CEO of The Tailored Coaching Method, an internet-based company that helps Gen Pop clients get into great shape via personalized training and nutrition programs. And in this episode, we're going to break down what it really takes from a training and nutrition perspective to get into awesome shape. Now, if you're a regular to the show, welcome back. As always, love and appreciate you. And if you're new here, welcome. I'm Mike Robertson, and this is the Physical Preparation Podcast. In this show, we take deep dives into the art and science of coaching, cueing, program design, business, and personal development. Basically, anything to help you become a better trainer, coach, or rehab professional. Now, after our first chat, I actually hired one of Cody's coaches, Trevor Ratsky, to help me with my own body comp program. And to say I was happy with not only the results, but the process would be an understatement. So in today's show, we're going to start by talking about some of the intangibles that can really make or break your success when training. Things like accountability, mindset, and delayed gratification may not sound exciting, but they're instrumental in your long-term success. From there, we dive into some of the nuts and bolts of training and nutrition for physique transformation. For instance, what's the difference between a fat loss training program and one geared towards muscle? Or how do you alter the nutritional program if you're looking to bulk up versus trimming down? Every time I talk to Cody, I feel like he does an amazing job of making the science of fat loss and muscle gain easy, so I know you're going to love this episode. So we're going to take a quick break, and then we'll jump into this awesome new show with Cody McBrew. Are you looking to make 2024 your best year ever? Would you like a full year's worth of training programs written and done for you? And would you like to dial in your nutrition, recovery, and mindset along the way to help you really level up across all areas of your life? If so, let me tell you about my RTS annual training program. If you're listening to this show, you realize the power of coaches. Whether you're a trainer or coach yourself, or an athlete who has worked with coaches in the past, you know how hard it is to accomplish truly amazing feats on your own. Look, I'm no different, but here's the thing. Sometimes you want coaching, but simply can't afford a private coach. After all, I realize whether it's in person or online, my private coaching program isn't for everybody. But what if I could still help you in more of a group style program? If this sounds interesting at all to you, my annual training group could be a perfect fit for you. In this program, we go through four three month phases of training building the engine, leaning season, athletic domination, and stronger. But the cool part of this program is that it's more than just a training program. Every month, you'll not only get a new workout to follow, but we'll also add in monthly challenges where we develop habits with regards to nutrition, recovery, and mindset to help ensure that next year really is your best year ever. If you're interested in learning more about the annual training group, head on over to robertsontrainingsystems.com forward slash annual. Again, that's robertsontrainingsystems.com forward slash annual. Or if you have any questions or concerns or just want to learn more about the program, shoot me an email at mike at robertsontrainingsystems.com and I will answer any questions you have about the program. Okay, that's enough for me. 
Thanks so much for listening, and I'd love the chance to work with you and help make 2024 your best year ever. Cody, man, thank you so much for coming back on the show. Really excited to have you on. Could you start by just telling us a little bit about yourself? Yeah, man. Thank you. Thank you for being back on. It's, uh, of course. it's always an honor jumping on here and, and chatting with you, man. My name is Cody McBroom. I am the owner and founder of Tailored Coaching Method, and I'm a coach through and through. That's just That's been my life since I was shoot 18 years old. I'm 31 years old now. So I've been doing this for quite a while for a 31 year old. And um, <laughs> I've, I've gone through a lot of certifications, a lot of workshops, a lot of credentials. That's how I first met you actually back in the day at, yeah. at our gym. And I was an in-person trainer for six and a half years, six days a week in the gym grinding while writing blogs and doing content back then, which is yeah. was different than today. Absolutely. And eventually I always had anticipated in, in dreamed of building a website, but it was more like I wanted to build something like Nate Green or Jay Frugia or John yeah. Brady back then. Just, I didn't know how they made money. I was just like, this is, that's what I want to do. <laughs> right. And eventually it turned into an online coaching platform. And then in 2017, I, I stepped away from the gym, gave up all my clients that were there and just decided to start fresh and try to build my own thing. And that was the birth of what today is now the other coaching method. Now we have there's 12 of us on staff, nine coaches who are all sports nutritionists, trainers, strength coaches. We got a couple people that are in the Brazilian jiu-jitsu space, one that's in the CrossFit space, a couple in the bodybuilding space. We have somebody who has her master's in psychology. We have our chief science wow. officer who does research in the field with his PhD. So we've built a, a really cool, really educated team. And our whole thing is just a tailored experience. So one-on-one -on -one coaching, we don't do any group stuff. It's all about the individual and diving as deep as we can into what science shows really works, but simplifying it in a way that helps the average person. Because our typical client is, we always say we help average individuals achieve above average physiques and live above average lives. So it's taking cool. the, the normal person and helping them get to that next level. I love it, dude. I love it. And it's been a couple of years since you came on. So what's new in your neck of the woods over the last year or two, man? What's changed? How have you evolved? Love to hear about that. Yeah, man. Shoot. In two years, let's see, I moved facilities. So we got a new facility literally two minutes away. So we just moved down the street. It went from being in a big, big warehouse that I just laid down some horse stable mats and turf and then... Yeah had to wear a North face jacket and a beanie while I was training. Cause we're in Washington. It's just cold in the winter and <laughs> boiling hot in the summer when we're cooped up in the little one office. So we ended up just moving to something more professional. So now we have a new facility. It's uh, it's really cool. It's, we got a, uh, about 2,500 square feet gym, I think. Nice. Yeah. Just under that training space. And then we have a separate section that has a couple offices, a media room, and then a podcast studio, which I'm in right now. And it's been cool to just upgrade the facility, be in a more professional setting. So we've done that. I finally finished the tailored trainer app, which is oh, very cool. Yeah. So that's been, honestly, that's been a, a project. If anybody out there is, oh, I'm going to create an app. Just know <laughs> <laughs> it is 10 times more work and a pain in the ass than you would think. <laughs> but you know, like years ago, I created a, a WordPress membership site. It was like a portal. And our whole thing was like, we were coaching so many people on nutrition because our main coaching, like I would say the vast majority of people who work with us do just nutrition. Sure. Usually they work with somebody in person like yourself, or they go to CrossFit or they have, or they're in the app or something like that. And I needed to create something that allowed me to 
give good programs because the problem was we're doing everything we can with nutrition, but their training was just so bad. And then it reflects on the results we're getting them and they couldn't sure. afford to do both with us. So we were like, Hey, let's create a cheap option. So I've made a WordPress login and I would just email them PDF of the month. And it was like a program. And then eventually it grew and I was like, Oh, I should create something with this. So we started going down that rabbit hole. And, and this is, this is crazy, but I ended up working with some people and I'm not going to say the company or anything. And, uh, you got to have good advisors if you're going into a different industry. Cause I knew nothing about that space. Yeah. Ended up working with some people that I thought were really trustworthy and good. And we were building things from what I could tell, but eventually I realized that we weren't building anything and they were just taking my money. I lost, shoot, it had to have been 30, $35,000 before I realized. Oh was, my like, gosh. That was bad. Dude, man. I'd be uh, sick. Oh yeah. Sick. It was. And you know what? I've always been, I've always been somebody who can try to seek lessons out. Yeah. There's obviously times where it's more difficult than others, but I just, I've always been that way, man. Even with my wife hates it when I say this, but if we get in a little tiff, I'm always the first one to look at her and go, are we getting divorced over this? She's like, what? No. I'm like, okay, <laughs> let's stop. I'm sorry. This is dumb. And sometimes she's not ready to get over it that quick, but I can just right. turn it off. Cause I'm like, I don't want to waste moments of my life worried about this. Yeah. But we had that big upset. And then I ended up finding somebody who oddly enough, my neighbor who I helped lose like 30 some pounds worked for Adobe in the app department, knew everything there was to know about developing apps. Oh, sick. And I was like, this works out perfect. You want a, <laughs> you want a right. piece of the pie? <laughs> so yeah. I brought him on and we found a new company to help and we built it out and it took about a year, but that's out now. And it's just like a cheap way to deliver training programs. And it's very specific to muscle growth and, and fat loss. There's not, there's no home gym stuff. There's no strength building, powerlifting, sports specific. It's all body composition. Cause that's what I specialize in. And yeah. I don't want to be a jack of all trades, master of none, but that finally wrapped up and got out. It's a $29 a month app. And then we've just been building the team, man. It's just been a lot of the same that's stuff, cool. a lot of big changes in the personal life. My daughter's in kindergarten now. So just dealing yeah. with learning the, to be a, a toddler dad now going from baby to toddler dad. So. A school dad, man. You're in yeah. a, you're in the school lines and stuff now, man. It's a different it game. It is crazy to see her with yeah. her little backpack on that's bigger than her. And she's holding her little <laughs> girlfriend's hands and they're walking in a class together. It's just, it is wild, man. But yeah. all good things. No, that's cool. And look, if the uh, new app designer gets out of line, at least you know where this guy lives, right? Exactly. Go track him down. <laughs> exactly. <laughs> look, as I told you before... We started the show. It's wild that this worked out this way because I had four podcasts booked to record over these two weeks. Two people bailed, rescheduled. It happens, uh, especially this time of year. But I'm actually really excited because we're talking body transformation. New Year's right around the corner. So this is on everybody's mind, right? Like they want to shed some or shed some body fat, build some muscle. So what I'd love to hear from you is when somebody is looking to build muscle, shed body fat, what mindset traits do you find in the people who are successful versus those who aren't like what's the mm. psychology there the number one thing that actually comes to mind is delayed gratification so and there's a lot of good um there's a lot of good actually when i was thinking about this discussion today i, I remembered that there was a uh, a study and there's like a list of these essentially call them traits or characteristics that individuals who sustain their result long term so anybody who loses weight it's known that rapid weight regain is pretty common. If somebody diets really hard, they gain weight afterwards. Sure. So they looked at what do the people do who sustain it afterwards? The people that they come back and 
follow up after a year later after a weight loss study, what do they have in common? And I would say that it's the same for muscle growth, either one. And delayed gratification was one of the big things that they harped on from a, a mindset perspective. And the reason for that is because if you can do the work now, knowing that what's going to come later on is what matters most, your ROI might not be immediate. You're going to be more patient with the process. And we know muscle does not build quickly. You got to be yeah. patient. I think that's probably the biggest thing. And it's what people have the most issues with today. Today's world is instant gratification world. It's convenience. It's quick wins. It's how fast can I get this done? How easy can this be? And I think the individuals who sustain fat loss or muscle growth or build the most muscle are the ones that do have that delayed gratification. And I was actually talking with a client uh, yesterday, in fact, on a call. And the example I gave to them was uh, based on an old Chinese proverb. And it's that mm. all things are hard until they're easy. And that's the proverb. Yeah. Very simple. But if you yeah. think about it, it's okay. What am I doing right now? I'm stepping into a new diet. I'm stepping into a new training program. I'm trying to push myself in the gym. I'm doing more volume. I'm pushing the intensity. I'm, I'm hungry because I'm in a calorie deficit, whatever it is. In that moment, it's very difficult, but eventually it will be easy. Whether it's easy because in a dieting setting, maybe metabolic adaptation kicks in and you're actually not as hungry because your metabolism slows down a little bit and adapts, or it's because you're just familiar with it right? Anything yeah. new is difficult. So when you step into something new, it's uncomfortable. It's challenging. It's unfamiliar until it's not. And when it's not, yeah. it becomes very easy to be consistent with. So for most people, it's, Hey, if we can get through that beginning stages, when it is awkward, uncomfortable, it's challenging. It, it's, it's pushing you a little bit harder. You just have to embrace that a little bit. You have to sit in it for a little bit. You have to accept that it's not going to be easy. And when you do that, you get to a point and usually it's not like this aha moment. You just get to a point where you're like, huh, this isn't that bad anymore. Like I just realized right. I've just been like this whole week. I haven't even thought about it. Like this whole week I've just been pushing it in the gym this whole week. I've been checking the boxes and it's all good. So I think it's uh, delayed gratification because we got to think of the big picture. I think it's acceptance of that discomfort and difficulty in the beginning stages because everything's hard until it's easy. Yep. And then honestly, I, I truly think that, and this is pretty common in the fitness space in general. Everybody who achieves a, a great physique or does the work required, all that, they find a way to either gamify or just simply enjoy the fact that they're working hard. Like yeah. it, it's, you get this dopamine kick or this reward sensation from working hard. Even if nobody's watching, even if nobody pats you on the butt or gives you a cookie or, or a trophy or whatever, <laughs> right? It's like, you just, the idea of being somebody who can do hard work, who, who has discipline and you don't got to be David Goggins here. I'm not saying it like it's crazy right. like that, but I think that there's this, maybe it's extreme ownership. I don't know. It's, I talk about it all the time with, I, when you set rules for yourself in life, even I, like for me, one of them was picking up trash when I walked by it and I can't not do it now because I yep. set that for myself and it's, and it started with this idea of God gave me the gift of earth. So I'm a steward of earth. And that means if I walk by a piece of trash, I'm fully capable of bending over, grabbing it and putting it away. I don't care whose it is. And this sounds odd for people listening. Same thing with a uh, piss on the toilet seat. I always, oh, yeah. Even if it's, it's not mine, one. even if yeah. it's not mine, it's gross. Like you're in the store and you're like, Damn, now I have to do it. Cause I, I set it yep. out there in the universe. I'm going to be the one that does that. Yep. And 
forever now. I'm just, that's me taking ownership. And I don't go tell people that I'm picking up trash or anything, but I do it in front of my neighbor's house. I do it like if I'm walking down the hall at my own gym, wherever I'm at, it doesn't matter. Point being is I think that there's this mentality of liking hard work or being willing to do the work because you like the payoff at the end. If you're enjoying today's podcast and not already subscribed to the Robertson Training Systems newsletter, what are you waiting for? When you sign up, you'll get immediate access to materials that will help you write better programs, motivate people outside of the gym, and improve how your clients move and feel. Plus, the RTS newsletter is the only place where I announce up-and-coming events like virtual summits, live seminars, and my program design mentorship. And last but not least, I hate spam as much as you do, so I will only email you when I've got something valuable to deliver, something that will make you a better athlete, trainer, or coach. So if you're not already subscribed, head over to robertsontrainingsystems.com and register for our newsletter right now, today. Now, that's enough from me. Let's get back into this week's episode. Okay, so I got two little anecdotes here. Number one, this reminds me of when I worked with your boy Trevor. And I think we were getting deep into my little cut here. And I said something like, oh, I just have to. And he's, hold up. You don't have to do anything. And he was like, you get to do this. You're choosing to do this. And as soon as he like reframed that for me, I was like, yeah, he's you're choosing to shed some body fat, to feel better, to have more energy. These are choices that you're making that are ultimately going to help you. You don't have to do it. So just remind yourself of that. So that was a big one. And then the second one, you talked about everything is hard until it's easy. When we first start, and I think probably everybody goes through this. If you're unaccustomed to weighing and measuring food, you're like, oh my gosh, really? Like every meal I have to do this. But then you get to a point where after four weeks, six weeks, whatever, you're just doing it and you're like, oh yeah, like this is just part of who I am now. It's it's a minor inconvenience. Maybe it takes 30 seconds to a minute, but you know, hey, throughout the day, now I'm taking in exactly what I need to throughout the day to support my body and my physique the way that I want to. So those are just things that like personally for me, I was like, oh, I thought this would be really hard, but now it's just part of everyday life. Yeah. And you know what, what I would add to that too is I've said this a bunch. I've written content about this, that the people who, and I'm surprised I didn't say this, the people who are successful with transformation, they focus on the benefits more than the sacrifices. So in that mm. scenario, it's, ah, I got to pull out the scale. I got to buy a scale. I got to weigh my food. I got to do all this stuff. But if we constantly focus on that sacrifice or that that tedious thing, That's not going to make it easy. However, if you shift your mind and you think about what it's doing for you, it's a huge win. So I've had a lot of people ask me about my, and we've created a bunch of content around, we just documenting what I'm doing and the reverse diet I've gone through since my physique competition, my bodybuilding show. Yeah. And it's gone extremely well. And I've stayed pretty lean and my blood work looks great. Like I, I have digestions on point, sleeps back to normal. Like everything's good. And people have asked, what is the biggest thing that helped you be so successful with it? And I'm like, honestly, I just literally did the same thing I did to get there. I just reversed the process. So I slowly but surely did less cardio. I still did cardio. I slowly but surely ate more food, but I still tracked the food. And I still generally ate the same foods. I just, it was like, oh, half a cup of oats. Now it's three quarters of a cup. Now it's a cup. So my body's used to things. For a lot of people, that is, it is a sacrifice. It's not easy for everybody. I live a life that's designed for it. So it, it's definitely sure. easier for me. And I will say that, but I looked at it as, okay, I'm going to, my goal is to document this. I'm going to do everything super dialed in. I'm like, I gamified it. I got excited about it. I thought about the benefits, not like oh, I still have to do this stuff. I was like, man, right. 
if I could do this, I could be eating way more food, staying pretty lean and set myself up for a really solid off season to gain some good muscle without getting fat. Because the first thing people do when they go through reverse diet is eat too much food or eat a bunch of junk afterwards. And I refrained from that because I gamified it. I had a goal. I thought about the bigger picture, delayed gratification, all these things went super well, but it's, I love it. There's a part of that detail that matters. Yes. No, I love that. So talk to me, what role does accountability play in all this? Like how important is it? Do you feel like to have somebody holding your feet to the fire or does it just depend on the person that we're talking about? Yeah, I think that I don't think it depends on the person at all. I think it depends on the the importance of the goal, right? Mm. Do you need to hire a coach if you don't really care about losing body fat? You don't really care about building muscle. If your goal is not that important to you? No, of course not. Don't spend your money on something else. Sure. And truthfully, like we spend our money and our time, we invest in what matters to us most. So, sure. but that being said, just to paint the picture, I've been a coach now. So I'm, since I was 18, so I graduated high school at 17, 18. So that's 13 years soon. I've been a yeah. coach. Yeah. I pay somebody every month right now to still coach me. <laughs> like, yeah. And I'm not like it, all last year I did, and and I have more than one coach. In fact, I, I have a coach for training and nutrition, then I have a coach for other things in my life. But if you want to improve something, you have to have skin in the game. And there's even, I, I got to find the study because it's been so long, but I've used it as an example so many times. They had people that were uh, participating in an event and had nothing to do with fitness, but it was an accountability study. And group A didn't have to pay for anything. They just got the thing. Group B had to pay $1. But the group that paid $1 had better results. Really? Skin the, yeah. They had skin in the oh game. Oh my gosh, so that's crazy. It almost doesn't matter. Now, there is also an aspect of the more money you pay, typically the more serious you're going to get. Because it, sure. it, I would say that's also all relative to your income. If somebody's not very well off, paying $50 a month can be a lot to them. Somebody yeah. who's really wealthy could pay $500 a month and they don't give a shit because they barely even notice it. They maybe don't even handle their bills, their wife or their accountant or, or their assistant or somebody else does. And they don't even, they don't even look at it. So they don't even notice. So it's all yeah. relative to your, your income, I would say, but there's plenty of research to show that. And there's also research to show like they've done a study on wine, different flavors or types of wine, as well as wine glasses. And mm -hmm. They basically give you this really expensive wine glass that aerates the wine and then this cheap dollar store one. And they'll switch them and tell people, and it's whatever one's more expensive, people say it tastes better. People say allows their wine to taste better, or it, it feels better, smells better, like all these different things. Sure. And they've done this with so many different aspects, not just wine, but it just goes to show like there is a prestige to it as well. Like same with yeah. clothing, you buy Nike yeah. and it's a certain ex price and you buy something that's just as nice, but it doesn't have the Nike logo and you perceive it as less valuable. There's a lot of different aspects that play into accountability, but the fact is I, there is a huge aspect of just having skin in the game, paying somebody and investing in that. I also would say that there's an aspect of that with respect. So when you mm -hmm. respect your coach, when you respect the person you're investing in, that is going to guide you. I think that you are far more likely, and this is even in my experience, I've hired certain people and I've even hired people that I'm like, I don't even think you know something that I don't know. I don't think that you have more knowledge than me. I don't think you're going to do, based on the content you put out, you're probably going to do the exact same thing I would do, but right. I respect you and I'm going to check in with you. And that means I want to show you that I'm going to do the work and I'm going to get the job done. So I think there's different layers to it, but I don't think we can get away from the fact that accountability is huge. It's a massively important aspect to getting results. Yeah. 
Okay. So along those same lines, because I think everybody that is listening to this show, unless they just somehow jumped into, I work at a division one college or they work in the pros, all of us have dealt with body comp clients, right? Now I don't deal with as many today as I used to, but I know that's your bread and butter. So what I'm really interested to hear is how important is it to have the right people around you outside of the gym? and the right influences outside you? Because I have my thoughts and opinions here, but I would love to hear from somebody that does this every day. How important is your support circle in your success? Yeah, I think it's damn near just as important. I think that there's layers of this. So I think it's damn near just as important as accountability is what I was saying. But yeah, I think that the closer the relationship is, the more important it is, of course, right? Sure. Now we can look at, there's plenty of really, I, I had a guy on my podcast and he sent me down a rabbit hole because it was just so interesting. And I'll have to, he wrote a couple different books. I don't know why I'm blanking on his name now, but I've had him on twice actually yeah. a while back, but he wrote a couple of different books. One of them is uh, rest recovery focus. I think it's called, but there's all these environmental stuff that even don't have to do with other people. But for example, getting outside and being in nature around green specifically, even if they even did it in like sub in the city and they would have those rooftops that have like plants and yeah. fake grass, just seeing green and being outside and doing that repetitively increases like different neurotransmitters in the brain for positivity, mood, recovery, all these things. So there's yeah. an aspect of environmental support that has nothing to do with people. There's the negative aspect of it that influences more people than others. For example, if I go to a restaurant and it's just me and my wife, my wife is fully supportive. She met me while I was knee deep in this stuff. So she knows the deal. <laughs> I don't care what people are doing around me. I don't care what they're ordering. I don't care if I'm in a bar and I'm not drinking or I am drinking or everybody's drinking whatever. And I'm ordering a Michelob Ultra to stay low. I don't, and I don't like Michelob Ultra for the record, but <laughs> I'm yeah, actually they're not sponsoring guy. the show anyway, Cody, yeah. until I get that sponsorship money, just take them out. <laughs> it doesn't, that doesn't impact me right uh, yeah. now for other people, their surroundings do impact them a lot. And the more people in that environment, they know the more likely they are to be influenced to do whatever is being done or to fear off the diet or whatever it may be. But the closer we get in the relationship, I think the more impactful it is, right? So when you get yeah. to the home setting, and this is something we ask people all the time, like the, one of the first questions I'll ask a, a client is, hey, does if, if it's a guy, I'm like, does, do you have kids? Do you have a wife? Do you, what's your situation? Okay, cool. Does your wife know that you're dieting? Does your wife know that you're going to step into, like when I did my bodybuilding show, the first thing I did before I told anybody, before I announced it on podcast or anything, we were sitting at dinner table. I looked at my wife. I was like, I think I'm going to compete again. And she was like, why on earth would you want to do that? was her first <laughs> question. And so we went down that path before I said anything to anybody else, because I knew if it was going to cause issues in my home, it, I wouldn't, one, I wouldn't do it. But two, I wouldn't get a great result if I knew that she didn't want me to do it and it was going to be an issue. And if you think about you going back to your weighing food or you're tracking your diet or you're doing cardio, or you're spending more time in the gym. It's not forever. None of this stuff is. Right. Unless you're like me and you do this for a living. But if it's something where you're just trying to accomplish a goal, maybe your goal will take three months. So you spend six to nine months preparing for it, doing it, reversing out of it, learning how to sustain it without tracking, without being so dialed in. And then you move on. Yeah. Even if you did it for 12 months, that's less than 1% of the average person's lifespan, literally. And you can Google yeah. that. It literally is. So it's a small fraction of your life. And if you try to hide that from the people that are in your household, 
just imagine trying to do that. It just, yeah. it would be very difficult. And then every time a situation comes up where your wife's, Hey, you want to get a burger, Mike? And you have to say no because you're dieting. It's the most awkward no that doesn't make any sense. And But when you have that support, it just doesn't even come up. So I think that it's extremely important. It's probably just as important as accountability. And I think the level of importance compared to accountability, it just depends on the person's situation. If you have a big family, if you're a very social person, all those things, it becomes more and more important. If you're somebody like me, even if you're in a different industry, but you're an entrepreneur, you're a homebody you have a, a tight knit group of, of friends and family. Like I don't have a big family around. It's, it becomes less important because I don't yeah. have as many negative support influences as I did back in the day. And of course, when you do this for a living, people just, yeah, they know I, yeah. I will go to Easter and my wife's Italian. So that's like a big one. They do like homemade ravioli and it's this whole big thing. And I make a joke out of it. If they're like, Oh, you don't want to have some more of this or you want to try the ice cream machine or something. I'm like, no, unfortunately, I get paid to have a six pack. And they're like, ah, they laugh. And then it's over with. And, and I <laughs> and joke my over, way out right? of it. And no big deal. So I love it. Yeah, I love it. Yeah. One thing that I wrote down, and I think it pertains to both these questions. You alluded to this, but it keeps coming back to how important is the goal to you? Mm-hmm. Or maybe along those same lines, how big is your why? Right? If you're just, oh, I'd like to lose five, bo- five pounds of body fat, right? Or I'd like to shed five pounds, whatever, just to see the number on the scale probably not going to resonate versus I need to lose 20 pounds or I'm going to have serious health issues or I'm not going to be able to hang out with my kids, whatever the case may be, those whys are so much bigger. And I feel like when you have a really like emotional connection to your why, then ultimately all those things are a lot easier to pass on or say no to. Yeah, hundred percent. And I think that for some people, your deep burning why might actually be uh, almost subconscious. Like you might not fully, if I ask you your why, you might not be able to immediately tell me exactly what it is, right? And right. so for some people, they have to dig a little bit deeper. And for example, I'm a very deep thinker. So I think about this stuff constantly. And obviously as a coach, it's my job. But my wife, when I told her I was going to do the bodybuilding show, and I use that as an example because it's the most extreme. We don't even yeah coach a lot of competitors. I coach a handful, but for our company, that's not like our niche. That's not our thing. We help average people above average results. Like I said, her first response is like, why would you want to do that? You're already pretty lean (laughs) and you're healthy and you run a a successful business. You don't have to do that to prove anything. What's the point? And I like, I love bodybuilding, but not to the point where it's um, involved in the sport and stuff like that. So she knew it wasn't that. And I told her, because she's, she's, we have a lot going on right now. Like my surgery, yeah. you're shifting some of the business. You're almost done with the Taylor trainer. Like you're bringing on a new intern. You're just moved in the new facility, like all these different things going on. I was like, well, that's actually why I want to do it. She's like, that doesn't make any sense. <laughs> and to me, it was like, look, we, if I'm the front man of this company and we have all these average people trying to achieve above average things and they get in their head and they create self-doubt and they give themselves excuses and rationalizations why they can't lose 20 pounds or they can't build their business or they can't do whatever it is. Then it's up to me to be the guy who has always been not genetically gifted, very average, no silver spoon. Like I got to do crazy things and achieve more than what is expected and what my mind allows me to believe is possible because then I can really live what I'm preaching and people will be inspired to do it themselves. That's the whole purpose. So because you got surgery coming up, we have some travel. My daughter just started kindergarten. I'm running a business. I just started an app. I have these new coaches starting on board. We're moving in the new facility. I got to do a bodybuilding competition as well to prove that if I can do this, 
you, person listening to this podcast, person who signed up and is working with us, person who follows me on Instagram, who will never hire us, whoever it is, I need to instill that inspiration in them. And that was my motive. So talking about accountability, it's a nonstop accountability because I know people are watching. I put it out in the universe. I'm like, I'm doing this. I'm going to accomplish it. And I want people to see the ups and downs of it and see me work through it. Right. And be able to get that done. So that why is way more important. If it was just like, I just want to have shredded six pack, I would have quit a month in because I'm like, yeah, I don't need to have a shredded six pack to be happy. I think being lean can help people be happy because you're confident and stuff, but being shredded for stage is totally different. Yeah. That's so interesting too. And I think it just comes back to being able to relate to what people are going through. Mm -hmm. So in my world, working with athletes, going out and even a couple times a year, going out and playing like pickup soccer or pickup basketball and realizing, oh man, like just getting up and down the court, like the cardio Mm -hmm. or, oh my gosh, I'm crippled for two days (laughs) after I play. Like you just, you remind yourself, oh, like this is really hard. Right. And like you said, it's hard until it's not, but just reminding yourself of what the people you're coaching are going through. I think there's value in that as well. Yeah. And then the people you're coaching respect you because of it too. Absolutely. I posted something the other day that said it was like trainers and coaches, you have no excuse not to be in shape. And a bunch of people were like, yeah, like that's right. I'm so, you got to walk. And then a whole bunch of people are like angry and triggered by it. Why are you triggered by it? Because exactly the only person, there was like one person that was like, they perceived it as you got to be shredded. And they were like, I've lost a hundred pounds. I might never be shredded, but I'm in great shape. Blah, blah, blah. I was like, we didn't read the whole post. Cause it literally says you do not need to be shredded to be a good trainer. It just says you're actively practicing what you preach. And so for me, if I never diet, if I never go through a fat loss phase, then why am I running a company that puts hundreds and hundreds of people through fat loss phases and diets every month? Like it just doesn't, it doesn't correlate. Yeah. I love it. This is great, man. Let's dive in and let's talk a little bit of like training nutrition, because I love hearing about what you're doing. I'm sure the listeners want to listen, just find out more about what you're doing. So to start, I, I think what I'd like to hear are what you perceive to be the biggest differences in training between somebody who wants to build muscle versus someone that's looking to shed body fat? Yeah. So I think that there's two answers that come to mind. And um, I'm pretty confident about uh, what both these answers. And the first answer is nothing's different because you don't train for fat loss. You train for muscle growth or strength or maintenance of muscle and strength while dieting and potentially adding in cardio for fat loss, right? And so for the average person, cardio might just be a step count, maybe a little bit of conditioning and stuff. The more serious the goal, the more application there is for like actually putting in time doing like low intensity cardio. Somebody's doing a photo shoot or they're at the tail end of a cut, we can add in some of that. But for the most part, diet and cardio are your dials to ramp up fat loss and training is the dial you'd ramp up to elicit the adaptation to whatever stress you're placing, right? So if we're focusing on strength, we're training for strength. When we're talking body composition, we're training for hypertrophy. And the best way to maintain muscle is to continue training for hypertrophy. Now, the caveat here is, and this is where I say there's two answers. The other answer is it's the same but lesser. So the reality is when you go into a diet and bring your calories down, maybe you're also adding in cardio. At first, nothing changes. You'll be fine. You'll probably feel better in the gym. But halfway through, diet fatigue will accumulate. And this is just the your body's response to being in a deficit. So there's plenty of research to show as you diet longer and longer, cortisol tend to goes up, 
thyroid function, testosterone, all these things go down. It's all temporary. So it's not permanent damage to anything, but the stress response increases, which is going to make it harder to recover and maintain muscle. And even people talk about cortisol and, and gaining fat. And most research actually says that cortisol doesn't really cause fat storage. There's very limited research that says it can potentially cause fat storage around your stomach area. And that was yeah. like an old, I mean, there's so many articles written about that too, back in the day. Sure. But the more and more they realize cortisol is a, it's a energy, it's a fuel utilization hormone. So it's actually burning fat. If you have fat, it just depends on, you want to use cortisol at the right time, basically. Right. However, cortisol is a stress hormone and cortisol does increase stress. Stress increases cravings and overeating. So there's a big correlation with being overweight or gaining weight in cortisol because Typically, if you're stressed out, you're going to crave food. That's a very yeah. natural and normal response. So point being is if we're dieting and cortisol can potentially go up, stress hormone goes up, we have higher cravings, we're less likely to adhere to the diet while also training balls to the wall for getting jacked or building strength. And that's increasing cortisol, which is good in the short term. But if it's lingering and you're not recovering, it's going to be very difficult. So typically, the only change I'm making is going to be lowering volume and or intensity typically volume to just be able to better recover. And, yeah. and again, there's plenty of research to support. You don't need as nearly as much training volume to maintain your muscle as you do to build it. And there was yes. one, the main study that a lot of people talk about is actually showed at one eighth of your, maybe yeah. even more it, than that. It was a crazy it's number. Ridiculously low. Yeah. The, ridiculously only, the low. only caveat I tell people with that is that they, the study used experienced lifters, but if you actually look at the uh, preparation for the study, experienced meant that they basically took people and they trained them for 16 weeks and then they put them through the study. I don't care who you are. 16 weeks doesn't make you an experienced lifter. <laughs> so <laughs> no. I, I would have to dig deeper to know if they train. From what I could tell, they didn't really train much before that. But even then, I would say, okay, let's say it's not one eighth. Let's say it's half. Even half, yeah. that's still, that's crazy. I train five days a week lifting. So what, I train two and a half days a week. Like that just seems yeah. nuts to me. So I wouldn't even do that little just because I like training. I want to be in the gym. Point being is we can confidently lower training volume and still maintain a lot of muscle. So that's the only thing I'm really changing when it comes to fat loss, because again, the dial for increasing the fat loss result is going to be the diet and potentially adding in cardio or tweaking step count. Yeah. Yeah. Let's go there next because obviously mix of people that are listening to the show, some want to lean out, some want to add a little bit of muscle. So if training is relatively the same, what are the big changes that you make or the dials that you turn when it comes to their nutrition, if they want to shed fat versus building muscle? Yeah. So there's a few things there's, I, I often talk about, so there's obviously the macros and the calories, and those would be like the dials that we can play with. But there's a step-by-step -step approach that I like to explain when we go into this whole scenario too. So the first thing I look at is I always tell people that there's, when we look at calories and being in a calorie deficit, because that's going to be the big predominant thing. How much are you total intake do you have? Going into a calorie deficit is obviously going to create fat loss. Being at caloric maintenance is going to keep you maintaining. And then going into a surplus is going to cause weight gain or muscle yep. growth. There are certain scenarios where you can maybe build muscle and deficit or maintenance if people have been out of the gym for a while because we see recomp happen. But when I'm starting with a client, I'm also looking at the dials of, I call them intensity, frequency, and duration for their diet. And so what I mean by that is mm -hmm. let's look at your diet history because we get people all the time that come to us and they're like, I've been trying to diet 
and I just am very unsuccessful. And I'm like, okay, depending on when your last diet was and how often you've dieted in the last couple of years, that determines if I feel comfortable even putting you in another diet because we can't just constantly diet. So that's like the whole frequency. How often are you dieting? And then it's okay. Your last diet, how long did you diet for? And this is, I will say this too. Some people will come to us and they're like, oh shoot, I was dieting almost all year. And yikes. Yeah. There's times where I, in truthfully, I would say 25% of the time I hear that I'm like, it's true. And they were dieting all year. The other 25% or the other 75% of the time they were trying to diet, but their weekends were right. way off. And so their weekly calorie deficit was not there. So on a week by week right. average, however, mentally they were in a diet that whole time because they're constantly Oof. trying. So that's right. very fatiguing. So I have to take that into consideration. And then last but not least, the intensity. How hard did you diet? Were you in a 5% deficit or were you in a 35% deficit? There's a big difference. And oftentimes I would actually <coughs> rather put somebody in a bigger deficit because most research that's done on weight loss, they're 15 at least, but upwards of 35% of a calorie deficit. Most people will put themselves on a 5 to 10% calorie deficit and they're confused as to why they're not seeing progress. The reason is because your metabolism is a range. It's not a dead set number. And so you float in this range depending on your activity, your stress levels, all this stuff. So if you drop 5% calories, mentally you're in a diet, but your right. body's going to adapt real quick by walking less, moving less, talking less, doing whatever. And you're not really going to lose much at all. You're still in that range. And so your body compensates. This is what metabolic adaptation is or adaptive thermogenesis. And now we're not seeing any progress, but mentally I'm in a diet. Why am I losing weight? So it's still fatiguing, right? So anyway, I look at those first, then we go into an actual diet and I, I typically take people through three phases when we're going into a fat loss phase. And the first phase we call a primer phase. There's many different, you can call it a prep phase so, um, in bodybuilding. They'll call it like a holding phase. And it's just essentially, we're just, we're trying, or like a feeder phase. Some people call it too. And say, so, yeah. hey, we just want to be at maintenance. And the reason for this is because for the individual that comes on board, and I do this, whether we're going towards muscle growth or fat loss, for the person that comes on board, I have to assume that despite what they're telling me, there's potentially a lack of consistency in something, sure. whether they sure. realize it or not. Again, and I always refer to research, so I'm constantly saying this, but research shows that over 50%, a lot of studies show well over 50% of people who track their diet misreport. So they're actually eating more than they realize. Yeah. And yeah. some people don't, they literally are just inaccurately tracking. They don't even realize they, when they look at you with conviction, say I'm recording everything, I'm tracking everything I'm dialed in. They think they are, they need the education, right? Other people mm. don't want to admit that they let some stuff slide. Some people are like, oh, I didn't even realize I needed to track oil and it's cooking oil as a ton <laughs> of fat. I spend this time could be for somebody whose experience could be a week for somebody who's brand new. It could be three months and most likely they'll lose weight and see progress in that three months. But I'm looking at Let's just keep you at what I perceive to be your maintenance. Let's focus on food quality. Let's get enough water, stress, sleep, communication between you and I. Let's develop some habits that, allow, that are going to serve you well during any diet phase we go into, whether it's for muscle growth or fat loss, while we're at maintenance. So you don't have the stress of tons of training volume. You don't have the stress of a big calorie deficit or cardio or anything like that. We're at maintenance. We're doing like just easy stuff to recover from, but we're pushing it. We're having fun with it, and we're just building the habits and the traits. And however long that takes us, again, for some people, it's just a couple weeks. But once we go through that, I know essentially physically, physiologically, and psychologically, they're going to respond to the diet better because sure. they're prepared for it. Their body's prepped, their mind's prepped, their lifestyle's prepped. 
And now we can dive into it. And so if somebody wants fat loss, we're going to go into a calorie deficit. If somebody wants muscle growth, we're probably going to go into a surplus. If they are brand new, we might keep them at maintenance. If they're really hesitant to gain weight too quickly, it depends on the person. Generally speaking, we're going to go into a surplus because you got to eat food to build muscle, right? And usually what that looks is around a 5% surplus, 10% at most. You don't need a big surplus. The truth is training volume and training intensity and exercise selection being properly designed for you and your mechanics, your posture, your biofeedback, all that. That's going to elicit the muscle growth change. The training is the big thing. So we just need enough calories to make sure we're recovering from that. Eating chicken and eating rice, that doesn't build muscle. Training builds muscle. So we just need right. enough and then a little bit extra to put us in surplus to, to keep performing in the gym and recovering and rebuilding tissue. So that could be a 5 to 10% surplus, whereas fat loss, we're probably going to go at least 15, upwards of 30%, depending on what the person can adhere oh, wow. to. Yeah. And if we're going in the way we do this as well is the higher that percentage of a calorie deficit we're in, the more often we're going to take diet breaks. So if somebody is going at 30%, that's an aggressive deficit. We might be in a diet for 10 to 14 days, and then we take three to five days off and we're at maintenance. And so you have this pulsing back and forth. For some people, it's two weeks on, one week off. For some people, it's five days on, two days off. For some people, it's six days on, one day off. For some people, it's we're doing a sprint, six, six to eight weeks, let's push hard, and then we're taking three to four weeks off. And then for the person that just can't adhere to such a big deficit, which is fine too, it might be a 12, 16, 20, 24 week diet. And we're just slowly losing weight over time. But we start at right. that 15% calorie deficit because we need to initiate that change for your body to respond. And then any adjustment after that, if we got to continue to drop calories, is going to be 5%. It's going to be a very small adjustment because we've already right. pushed outside of that maintenance range. And then every time we need to nudge along, we're just pushing a little bit further out of that range as we lose weight. Because as you lose weight, you have less mass. Your body doesn't need as many calories to to support that. So sure. there's a nudging process. And then the last thing that people typically ask is there's obviously a ton of different, what about sodium? What about hydration, supplements, food quality, all these things. But the big blocks are going to be the training, the general calories and the macros. And so for the macros, first and foremost, we have to know that calories and protein are going to be the most important research supports that. So as long as you're getting enough yep. protein and you're hitting your calories, you're going to be golden. The other side of this, though, is when we go from somebody who is either kind of active or is like training a couple days a week and they're not super into it, or maybe they're going to an Orange Theory class and they do training, but they're not interested in physique development or building muscle or getting strong compared to the person who is training with you and is very into athletic-based training, strength training, or training with me who's into bodybuilding. Or, And I say bodybuilding, it could be a very recreational bodybuilding as in yeah, hypertrophy, sure. right? Yeah. That person this whole idea of just calories and protein being the only thing that matters doesn't go out the window, but it does change a lot because we do know that number one protein, you can almost eat as much as you want. It's not going to store as fat. They have studies with two to three grams per pound. It's disgusting. And like the worst thing that happens is these people sweat a ton and they're gassy and they sweat a ton at night. They don't build more muscle, so there's no point of it. So don't get me wrong. I don't recommend, but it does go to show that we could go above a gram per pound. We could go one, 1.2, all the way up to 1.5. And if I have a female who's a hundred pounds, I'm probably going to go 1.5. But if I have a male who's 225, I don't need to do that. So it depends on the person, but we want to be able to spread that protein out throughout the day. So we want a higher protein intake. And generally I like to have people on a high carb, low fat intake because research supports Fat can be really low without any detrimental 
aspect happening before you get the most extreme case would be like gallbladder disease, which I mean, you'd have to literally take <laughs> seven grams of fat a day for weeks on end, which oh my. I don't know anybody that's who that. can actually do that. That's like less than yeah. one steak for your whole day. Yeah. <laughs> and for hormone support, it's just not that high either. So in more fat doesn't equal better hormones. We need fat and we need a good amount, a decent amount, not too much of saturated fat, even for supporting our testosterone levels as men. But if right. I need just for random numbers, let's say we calculate, I need 50 grams a day to optimize my testosterone. Getting 70 grams isn't like steroids. It's not going to supercharge my right. It doesn't do anything. Actually, it doesn't help me at all. So if I'm training and I know carbs are the primary fuel source for any anaerobic needs and muscle is 65% water, 60, 65% water and carbohydrates are the glycogen that fills the muscle and brings water into the muscle and brings nutrients and everything. Probably want to fill my diet carbs. It's going to support my training. It's going to fill my muscle up. It's going to help recovery, lower cramping, strains, anything like that. And it's going to support my goals of, of physique development way more. And quite literally, it's more difficult for your body to store carbs as fat if you're training because it's a preferred fuel source and it has to go through a a specific process. Um, It changes the carbohydrate from a glucose to a lipid. Fat's already a lipid. So it's quite literally easier. Um, Yeah doesn't mean fat's bad. It just means that if we're going to lean on one, I always go, Hey, let's lower fats to what we need for your hormone support. Maybe a little extra for flexibility purposes. And then we bring carbs up. And then on days where you have a date night or it's a birthday or whatever, and you want to just let the carbs and fats fluctuate up and down while just hitting your calories and protein, do it. That's flexible dieting. But when you can control the diet, let's have a, a high protein, high carb diet, especially for muscle growth. Yeah. I love it, dude. Wow, that was so thorough too. So thorough. What what really helps you determine the length of time you're going to have somebody diet for? Because you said five, two, you know, two weeks, one week, 16 weeks. What's, what is the key indicator there for you? You're like, I think I'm going to start this person here. Yeah. So the first thing is that we can look at the total timeline, right? Okay. So there's three steps to this. Step one is total timeline. Um, somebody comes to me and they have 10 pounds loose versus somebody who comes to me and they have 50 pounds loose. Totally different timelines. Sure. Generally speaking, you, somebody has 50 to hundred pounds to lose. They could diet for six to 12 months and we're not going to see any negative issues with their health because as they lose weight, they're going to be healthier. Most of the time, the health detriments that come from dieting come from the severity of calories being scarce. So being in a very low deficit, but primarily from total body fat storage. So when you get too lean, you start to have these negative side effects with your health. So somebody who has a lot of weight to lose, isn't going to worry about that, but somebody has 20 pounds to lose. That's going to happen way quicker. Cause when you lose the first 15, you only got five left. Now you're starting to experience some of those things. You don't need to lose that last five. You just really want to. Right. So, sure. So looking at that, I'm going to determine how long, and then obviously just learning their personality type, you can tell like how long could they stick with it too. So that's a factor with it. But generally speaking, we're looking at 0.5 to 1.5% of total body weight loss per week. So 1.5 being the high end. So for somebody who's 200 pounds, that's a good amount of weight per week. 1% being in the middle is two pounds a week. 1.5 is all the way up to three pounds. That's like the maximum I would want to lose. Most people hover in that like 0.75 to 1%. If you're on point and you're moving along and that's sustainable. So we look at how much weight they want to lose and determine how long they want to lose it for. 
Then we're going to look at just generally their adherence to the diet and that'll determine how aggressive I can be. And and you can, sure. I always pull like a motivational interviewing kind of stuff into these situations and just ask the person like, Hey, would you rather go down path A or path B? And as a coach, I know both paths work. I'm good with either one, but I'm gonna let you choose because you're gonna adhere better to whatever you say. So if somebody is more of the shotgun approach kind of person, like I just want to get after it, like I'm yeah. that kind of person, we might be a bit more aggressive versus the person who I can tell is like iffy and we're gonna go slow and steady. There's no there's nothing wrong with either one. And it's very right. difficult to really lose muscle tissue in the short term. So I'm not worried about somebody losing muscle tissue if we're being more aggressive. Um, right. So that's the second piece of it. And then the third piece is where you were alluding to two weeks on when we go off five days, like, how do we determine that? Usually it's a matter of looking at somebody's lifestyle. If I have somebody who's mm. very socially active, I'm probably going to do the five two. like during their work week, it's yeah. easy. Let's diet pretty hard. And then weekends are off kind of thing, but we have some boundaries. Somebody who is more fatigue gets cravings or is fatigued from the diet easily, whether it's mentally or, or physiologically, I might do something more along the lines of two weeks on one week off, or even there's no like right way to do it. You can do 10 days on three days off. It's just coaching experience. You learn because most research supports the fact that it's all psychological. It doesn't really matter. It's not, we're not reversing any health things, at least not long-term. You got to get out of the diet and stay out of the diet to like truly reverse those hormonal adaptations. You can pause them, which is how it's good for you. But um, outside of that, you are going to improve performance a little bit, muscular endurance recovery. So For somebody who's performance-driven, we might time those around events or their favorite training sessions or stuff like that. Or if they're on a block periodization and they have a certain week where they're doing tests or anything like that, like a a peaking or a realization phase of a block periodization model, we might throw something in there where it's higher calories to like really let them perform well. But for the most part, what I like to do is I start everybody in the deficit without any of them planned. And it's, hey, we're going to implement something as far as refeeds or diet breaks go. Let's start by seeing how your body responds. Because if I start by saying, Hey, I'm going to put you in a five, two, cause it matched your lifestyle, but five days isn't long enough for your body to get with the program and start losing fat. Cause for some people, they just need more time in the deficit for other people. Yeah. Day two, they're losing fat. It's yeah, simple. Sure. So I like to throw them in there. Let's spend a couple of weeks dieting and see how long it takes your body to cooperate and get move in and see what we're doing. And then we can implement them with what works because there's this balancing act, man, of, of what will, you be able to adhere to and what will uh, be sustainable for you as well as what's going to get you results. Because the truth is that you're hiring me to get you lean. And I can't forget that either. If I'm too soft, too easy, and I don't push you and I don't challenge you from being so social that you're never going to reach your goals, how on earth are like, you're just wasting your money. And then we're just yeah. spinning wheels. And and so I'm, I try to balance those a bit. And, and I, I would prefer to get somebody losing weight pretty quickly because and research supports this too, with an aggressive diet, you will actually uh, see better long-term results too in some of these studies because that initial weight loss is so motivating internally for them. And it's not like this external motivation that they're seeking. Inside, they're like, I'm seeing results. I'm crushing it. I'm excited. And they, they are more likely to keep going because of that. And then we can taper off the diet. So we go hard in the beginning and then either bring calories up or reduce cardio or implement diet breaks so that on a week or monthly basis, they're not in such a severe deficit and they'll sustain the results for much longer, even after the diet's done, because they got the result, they got motivated and they actually stuck with it. So I love it. I love it. Okay. So I want to talk a little bit of training because 
I know you're passionate about training. I see you in the gym working hard. What big rocks do you have? Whether somebody, because we agree, right? Like metabolic training is metabolic training, right? Mm -hmm. The diet piece is what changes more. What are some of your big rocks, whether somebody's looking to shed body fat, build muscle, what are your big rocks for somebody to make sure that they're getting in the gym and doing the right things? Yeah. So I'm a big fan of, I think that periodization has always been a really influential topic in the strength world. And over the last couple of years, there's been a lot more researchers looking at periodization for hypertrophy and it's been depressing for lack of better terms, <laughs> just showed that it doesn't really matter much for hypertrophy strength, totally different power development, totally different athletic performance, totally different. That's why we see all this literature on like Olympic lifting, power lifting, sports sure. stuff. And it matters a lot. And, but when they started trying to look at it for hypertrophy specifically, they just really, what it boiled down to is total volume and effort. So it's, are you doing enough per week? And are you training with enough effort? Are you training with a close enough proximity to failure? So RIR, right? Reps and reserve or RPE, rate of perceived exertion, kind of these scales. Sure. And it's, if you're training, if you finish your set and you have, they say up to three, I usually tell people one, maybe two, only because if the average person's in the gym and they're like, yeah, I was like one rep away from failure. They were probably like three or four. Most people don't know. And you got to coach yeah. them through that, which is fine. And there's ways that you can program to teach people how to do that by like intentionally taking some sets to failure on safe exercises, having them take notes and they learn how to do this properly. But right. the big rocks for me are, those are the two biggest ones. Okay. Are we doing enough training volume per week? So for somebody who is focused on balanced hypertrophy. They just want all their muscles to grow. We're going to have a pretty even spread of volume across the board. We're probably going to do a little bit less in certain areas, right? We're going to do a little bit less in shoulders because you're going to get delt activation from some of your rows and from some of your presses. And we're going to do less in your arms because you're going to get some biceps from rowing and so on and so forth. And then we're looking at like a needs analysis being specificity of the individual if a guy comes to me and he really wants a bigger upper body, I'm not going to put a ton of glute work. Vice versa, if a, sure. a female comes to me and they want a bigger butt, I'm not going to put a ton <laughs> of shoulders and arms. So we just got to make sure we're doing enough volume, which usually is somewhere in between, like they say the volume landmarks like 10 to 20 sets per muscle group per week. People can grow on less. You can definitely maintain on less. But if we're just focused on muscle growth, we're probably going to lean somewhere in there. So maybe starting at that 10 with like those secondary muscles, like the delts and the arms a little bit under 10. So between five and 10 and then everything yep. else at 10 sets. And then over time, the periodization model is basically as you recover well, and I don't see any signs of needing a deload. I don't see any lack of progression. We're going to bump that up until we get to a point where recovery starts to be difficult to accomplish. And then I can back off a little bit. So you find out like what your maximum right. recoverable volume is, and then go a little bit lower than that for more of a sustainable approach. And then of course, if you want to use a strategy where you're almost like overreaching and then pulling back, you can do that too. I don't find it as applicable for most average people because there's just so many changes going on. I'd rather just keep a steady amount of volume and just progress. So once we know how much volume we're doing and we teach the client how to train hard enough with everything, then we make sure that we're choosing the right exercise selection, which I think gets undervalued a lot. Most people, yeah. at least in the hypertrophy world, they're like, they look at how much volume you're doing and they're just like, all right, let's just get it, go after it. But the reality <laughs> is, and you know this really well, like if somebody comes to me and they're like, I want to build my quads and I got two guys, I want to build their quads. One guy has uh, short legs, long torso. One guy has short torso, long legs, totally different exercise selection because right. their mechanics are totally different. 
So being able to pinpoint an exercise selection that is optimal for the person to make sure joint health's good and they're actually targeting the muscle that they're trying yeah. to elicit the stress to, we're going to allocate that volume and, and effort to the right exercises for this person. And then within those exercises, I want to have key indicator lifts and just some basic like accessory and isolation work. So the key indicator lifts are going to be the lifts that this person, this is a, a term coined from Mike Isertel, which I really love, but like an SFR curve. So a stimulus to fatigue ratio, mm. for example, I love the deadlift, but the stimulus to fatigue ratio isn't that great. So when we look at hypertrophy, it's not really <coughs> targeting or prioritizing any one muscle really well for growth, but right. it is really fatiguing. You do some yeah. good deadlifts. It just takes everything out of you, which is why it's yeah. a great neurological and, and strength building exercise, power development. But for hypertrophy, probably going to go with an RDL or a stiff leg deadlift because we can really isolate the hamstrings and it's not yes. nearly as fatiguing globally. So we're looking at this stimulus to fatigue ratio for these exercise selections. And we pick the ones that we know have room to progress and the person really connects well with. So a random example, like I, I personally do really well with a dumbbell bench press compared to a barbell bench press. Yep. Barbell bench press is great, but like dumbbells allow me to get in right position. I have all these fancy specialty bars now, so I cannot get away with doing it. Like I have the, the cambered bar, the neutral bar, but for most yeah. people, they don't have those. But the dumbbells allow me to go past my chest so I can get a big stretch. I can pause at the top. I feel like I'm, because it's unilateral in a sense, Yeah, I can really let each shoulder joint, each arm go in its own path. And I feel really good with that. And there's room to progress it. It's not a lateral raise where I'm not going to be able to lift more and more weight over time. So those kind of lifts, we like to keep in for a long time. Stiff leg deadlift for me is one. That's one. A leg press would be one for me where there's no axial loading, but I can really load up my quads and, and progress yes. that over time. So we pick these lifts and it's like, we might keep these in for three, six months. Like you just keep progressing them with a simple double progression method, linear progression, whatever. And then every, depending on the person could be three weeks, five weeks, seven weeks, change out the accessory and isolation work, right? Partially yep. because I can't progress my lateral raises anymore. Partially because training should be fun. Let's mix it up. Let's have fun yeah, with it. Absolutely. And as long as you're challenging yourself and you're reaching that effort, you're golden, right? So the, but encompassing that it's, I'm looking at volume, effort, then exercise selection to apply the volume and effort. And then we just want to pick those lifts that we want to progress over time, similar to how you would progress them in strength. But now I'm just staying in that more hypertrophy rep range, which we know we can build muscle in any rep range, but that's still the most efficient rep range to stay in. If you're doing sets yeah. of three to six for muscle, you're going to be there all day and it's going to be taxing. So th those are like the, to me, like those are the biggest components of training that, that we're looking at when we're trying to target hypertrophy and muscle growth specifically. And then we just string weeks and weeks and going back to that whole delayed gratification. It's, we just have to string along a lot of time and an effort of doing those things and it's going to lead to the best results. Yeah. So let's look into the crystal ball. You coach mostly men, but this could be men, women, whatever. These people come to you, exact same person, exact same goals for 2024. One, though, absolutely crushes it. They dominate the year. They get the physique goals that they wanted. The other person ends up exactly where they were. What do the successful people do that the unsuccessful people have not? Mm. Ooh, I feel like we've dropped so many things throughout this podcast. So I would start by saying a lot of what I've already said, they, yeah, they've done a lot of these things. Right. I think one big thing 
there's a few I'll say. One big thing is their goal setters. So they set a, a long-term goal and typically they have a roadmap to get there. I see a lot of people who set goals. It's New Year's resolutions in general, but in, in just in life, man, people set goals and they don't actually spend the time to think about what does the entire roadmap look like? Where are the yeah. milestones? Where are the turns? Where are the stoplights? Where's the traffic? You got to think about those things, right? Yeah. And what are you going to do when those things come up? How are we navigating those? As a coach, I'm always asking like in my questionnaire, one of the th questions is expected travel. Like what do you have coming up? I don't care if it's a work event, if it's a vacation, yeah. if you're camp, what do you have coming up? Cause we got to know these things. So just setting a long-term goal and then considering the milestones or the, the benchmarks and the things along the way to get there. And the second thing is I do find that the most successful people, they take a methodical approach. They're, they're, I think that there's this, it's been like this for a while and it's starting to change a bit, but for a while there was like this idea that everything should be stress-free. Everything should be easy. We should make it super convenient. You shouldn't right. have to, you don't have to weigh yourself. You don't have to track anything. And to me, I'm like, it's just a scapegoat for not working hard. Let's just buck up and just do what's required to be successful. Or you right. just don't really want it that bad. And that's not a like macho quote. It's just, I, it doesn't, like I have no personal judgment or bias towards <laughs> if you want to lose fat and build muscle or not. That's just what I yeah. do. But if you want it, let's actually do something about it. Otherwise, you're wasting time and money. Like, and nobody wants yes. to do that. So I think most people accept that there's going to be work required and they should take a methodical approach. They accept that they're going to have to track their food in, in one way or another, whether it's like literally tracking macros and weighing food or it's writing down and prepping out meals. No matter what, yeah. you got to do something. You can't just, like people say, like intuitive eating is a maintenance plan. Intuitive eating yeah. doesn't lead to weight loss because intuitively you've got yourself to where you're at right now. <laughs> I think that there's this acceptance of work in a meticulous approach. Like they're willing to do that. They understand that it's required and they have that long-term goal setting with the, the mini miniature goals in the front end. And then I think it goes back to delayed gratification can be mixed into both of those, but it goes back to the accountability aspect. The most successful yeah. people they invest in the accountability and they take it seriously. So they, they yeah. really do like the, there's a reason the best athletes have coaches and the best CEOs have mentors and the best, like all the best business owners swear by different leaders, authors, books, mentors, all kinds of people, because they learn from other people's mistakes. They learn from other people's guidance and principles, right? Everybody's trying yeah. to reinvent the wheel. And we all need that person who's going to tell us what to do, how to do it, when to do it and keep us accountable of actually doing it. And so I think for sure that skin in the game is the big thing, honestly. Yeah. I love it, dude. Such great answers. Okay. Last but not least lightning round five fairly short questions. Your answer can be as long or short as you like. Number one, got to ask, how's my guy Trevor doing? Trevor's great, man. He's, he's a boss, isn't he? He is. He just got, I don't want to, it would be bad if I said, I'm going to say a black belt, but if, if it's not his black belt, in Brazilian Jiu-Jitsu. He got promoted, correct? He did. He did get promoted. I'm going to pull up his Instagram real quick because he doesn't post often enough where I'll have to scroll a bunch. But <laughs> You're looking for that. Just some yeah. context. If you're listening he and you don't know who Trevor belt. is, Trevor Ratsky, he was my coach through Cody's tailored coaching method for, man, I think we worked together for six or eight months. Just an awesome human being mm -hmm. and taught me so much about my own body nutrition and just an awesome human he is yeah and he did he got his black belt in brazilian jiu-jitsu which is not 
the same thing as getting a black belt in Taekwondo. Like it's a big deal. Yeah. But he's been crushing it, man. He's phenomenal coach, really good guy. I'm actually flying out there in about a month from now. So January 27th, we're hosting a seminar at Watson's Brazilian Jiu-Jitsu, Watson's Mixed Martial Arts in St. Louis. And we're doing a nutrition seminar out there for, there's a big community of BJJ guys. So I'm excited about that, but yeah, he's doing great. That's awesome. That's awesome. All right. Number two, you're a savage in the gym yourself. What does your training look like these days, especially coming off the show and everything? Yeah. So my training, my training split right now is the same as it was at the tail end of prep. The main difference is my volume is starting to accumulate and get, go up. It was starting to taper down quite a bit towards the end of prep just because you're so fatigued. Right. Um, Right now I'm following a push, pull legs split, but it's a five day and I only have one leg day. So it's push, pull legs, push, pull. The reason for one leg day for me is men's physique competitor. And I plan on competing again, not for a while, but probably like 2025. Yeah. I'm actually embarking on the journey to try to go pro is like what I'm striving for. Wow. Yeah. I'm going to, I'm going to really push it. I love it. And so I got to put on size, but I don't get judged on my legs. So the, and the legs, they're so taxing. So when you get stronger and it's like that bell curve of volume, you need more volume to grow. But then as you get stronger, more volume crushes you. So like you uh, like anything works. And then as you start getting towards the intermediate, you got to do more and more volume. And then as you become advanced, you got to like bring back volume down because yeah. your strength load is higher. So for me, I have to lower volume in areas that are less important or that I already have good development in. And for me, that means I got basically four days a week of upper body. So two push days, two pull days. So I got to build my lats and my chest more than anything. And I can do a little bit less on my arms, less on my, my legs. And, uh, yeah. and so, yeah. And doing heavy legs, is just, it's just so fatiguing. So I wouldn't be able to do an volume with other stuff. It, it's exhausting. And I remember when I was powerlifting, I would do like a five by five squat session on Tuesday and it would be Friday or Saturday. And I still like mm-hmm. couldn't bend my knees, couldn't flex my hips. I'm just yeah. like, dude, so smoked and but you're in the back of your mind you're like yeah but i have to deadlift yeah can't just not train my deadlift and so that's actually been a big something i've changed a lot since being even more focused on hypertrophy is that i don't have to do any specific lift absolutely so like the idea like i don't i haven't back squatted or deadlifted in a a long time now because yeah they're so fatiguing and i'm like you know what i'm going to utilize cables and machines more and some of these isolation exercises because I can do more volume with them without just crushing myself. And that's what I have to do. Yeah. Uh, I preach that all the time, dude. Unless you are a power lifter or an Olympic lifter, there is no exercise you have to do in the gym, right? Yeah. Yeah. You figure out what works, man. Okay. Along those same lines, talk to me about the physique show. How did it go? Did you get the result that you wanted? What did you learn from it? Yeah. So I, it went well, man. It was there. There's definitely looking back. There's definitely things I would have changed. I had, obviously I had a coach for it, different coach than I have right now. And I, it's difficult for two reasons. One, the first I've worked with competitors where I've done multiple shows with them. And the first show is always more difficult to prep them than the second show, because you learn a lot about their body. And in the second show, you know exactly what to do. So there's always that. Also, my wife had two surgeries and it, the second one wasn't planned and therefore it threw off actually when I could compete. And Mm -hmm. so I had to like change dates. And so there was a lot of stuff going on that actually nobody even knew because we're generally private people. So we didn't share that at the moment. And, but it was changing the dates that I was going to be on stage. So we had to play around stuff. So I was, I was, I I was struggling at the end. It was really fatiguing, but you you know, you get so much clarity on life when you go through very hard things and just like challenges like that. It was just so powerful mentally for me, but 
I did well. I got second in my class, so I was pumped about that. Nice. Uh, so I, I went home with some some metal some and, hardware, uh, man. Yeah, I was pumped, and I got a lot of good feedback from the judges, some other people who just coach physique competitors, and that's where I got caught the bug of maybe I'll try to push this and go pro because a few of them were like, man, if you really wanted to, you could go there because your lifestyle set up for it and your bone structure is actually really good for this category, which is something that you're just that's genetics. I don't. Yeah. So I was like, you know what? Maybe I will push it. This is something that I can strive for. It's an athletic endeavor. And when I started entertaining that idea and I started thinking about this mentality of turn pro, I started looking at every area of my life and I was like, what does a pro CEO do? What does a pro physique do? What does a pro dad do? Yes. What does a pro husband do? And I just started leveling up everything. And I'm like, I'm doing yeah. it because this is like pushing me in everywhere. And so I got a long journey, but it went exactly as I wanted to because my whole goal was just to inspire average people. Yeah. And I got some hardware on the way to do that. So it's, it was a win. That's awesome. Have you ever read that book, Turning Pro yep. by Stephen Pressfield? Yep. Amazing book. Such I'm going to link book. that in the show notes. If you haven't read that book, that needs to be the next book yeah. you read in your life. It's such an easy it's read. Cool. Such, it is. Yeah. Easy read, but great. Okay. This is a random one, but a while back on IG, hopefully you remember this because I know you drop a lot of content. You put up this post about if I wanted to have year round abs, I would do these things. And I don't expect you to remember it verbatim, but could you give us like a, just like a quick snapshot into what those things are? Yeah. I, I don't know if this is exactly it, but it probably could be because I generally can answer that pretty easily. I had a specific amount, but I would just say that I would have a high water intake every day. Usually that's going to be, if you really want to be an overachiever, your body weight in protein or your body weight in fluid ounces every day, which is going to be a lot, right? That's for a lot of us yeah. over a gallon. Now I would say you don't need to go that far, but let's say 75%. So even for me, like a, a gallon to a, a gallon and a half, right? A gallon and a half is 95 fluid ounces. I don't weigh 195, sorry. I don't weigh 195 pounds. I'm about 170. So that's over my body weight, but that's going to improve digestion. It's going to improve your metabolism. It's going to help nutrient absorption. It's going to keep you hydrated. And this includes like your pre-workout, your protein shake. It's everything. Sure. Um, but let's just say drink a gallon of water a day. I would, I would have a high step count every day. High is relative, but you know, somewhere between 8,000 to 15,000 a day, depending on the person's lifestyle. I would do some kind of uh, aerobic based cardio, whether we're doing like uh, more of a mixed modal. So maybe you're doing sled poles and farmer's carries and stuff like that, but you're keeping your heart rate in that aerobic zone, or you're just on a Stairmaster or inclined treadmill. It doesn't matter. I would do right. some kind of cardio at least a couple times a week. It's good for you. I would strength train at least four days a week, upwards of six, but I find most people have the greatest success at four to five. If you can't yeah. train that often or you're brand new, you could get away with three for sure. But for like serious results, I think four to five is like the best zone. So I would train four to five days a week. 90% of my diet would be whole foods. Yes, you can be a flexible dieter. Yes, you can eat out. Yes, you can have some beers. But like the reality is that you're going to be far more likely to get lean and stay lean and have abs year round if you eat mostly whole foods. Yes. I would add to that. I would eat one to 1.2 grams per pound of body weight and protein, depending on my current body weight. So at your body weight or slightly above, and I would preferentially have a higher carb, lower fat diet. Yeah. I love it. You do those things. I, and you're I'll make, golden. I just thought that was such an interesting, because a lot of people are like, oh yeah, this is a whole nother discussion. I didn't put this in the show, but like the person that's, oh yeah, I'm 10% body fat. I'm like, oh yeah. Okay. Let me see your abs. And like, I don't have abs. I'm like, you don't have a 10% body fat, yeah. but like just that thought process of, okay, if you really wanted to do this, how do you do it? Like training wise. And I just thought that was a great layout. So I'll make sure I, I find that and I'll link to that in the show notes as well. All right, dude. 
last but not least, what's next for Cody McBroom? What are you working on? What are you excited about? Anything? Yeah, man, we checked off so many boxes this year that were like preparation for this coming year. It was like where we've been behind the scenes working on things that yeah. I've invested a lot of time and money into that have had zero ROI. So talk about delayed gratification. <laughs> I'm so excited for 2024. Yes. So this year is going to be a lot of a lot of personal content done around my journey and me being really going out and speaking. I'm going to hopefully I have a few lined up, but speaking at more seminars, doing more podcasts like these, really putting out a lot of content, leaning on my team for more, delegating a lot more so that they can grow and that I can be like almost like an ambassador of what tailored is to the fullest effect. Right. So there's going to be a lot of that, which I'm really excited for. It's very fun. And we're going to be over the next, so sometime this month being January as listeners are listening to this. We're going to be integrating and launching the new app for our coaching. So this is different than the Taylor Trainer app because we just launched that not too long ago. But this is where like all of our coaching is going to be done literally through an app software where your nice. check-ins, your communication, your diet, your food logs, your training. So we don't need to go to True Coach for this and My Fitness Pal for this and Google for this. Like it's all going to be integrated in one and it's going to make oh, the whole process sick. so much better for everybody. And really, really excited about that. So a lot of new systems to just make the client experience better. And it's just going to be like all hands on deck to focus on that. The systems are yeah. in place now. I can just focus on executing all year long. I love it. I love it. Cody, this is always amazing. I love catching up with you. You're such a wealth of knowledge. And I feel like I learned something every time we chat. So for the listeners that are tuning in, where can they find out more about you? Yeah. Thank you, man. I appreciate that. It means a lot coming from you, really. Um, so where you can find me is uh, Instagram. You should post every day at Cody McBroom. Uh, tailoredcoachingmethod.com is the website where you can find, we have hundreds and hundreds of free articles, free guides. That's where our coaching is. Everything's kind of there. Our whole team, bios, all that stuff. The Tailored Life podcast is on all platforms and that we drop once a week right now. And we have a lot of really good content. We've done 900 and something episodes. So we started, oh yeah, we lowered it to once that's, a week now because we that's have, crazy. We have so many episodes that people can just go backlog and listen to. So there's just a lot of content out there. So just Google my name or Taylor Coach Method and a whole bunch of free stuff is going to pop up. And obviously our coaching and everything will pop up as well. Yeah, I'll make sure. I've still got all the uh, the links from last time. So I'll Perfect. drop all those in there. And again, Cody, this was amazing, man. Thanks for coming on, brother. Thanks, brother. All right, my friend, that does it for this week's episode with Cody McBroom. Really hope you enjoyed it. Like I said up top, I love talking to Cody. He's such a sharp guy. He's so locked in on the science behind all of this. And most importantly, he makes it easy to understand. I feel like so many people these days want things to be super complex. They want to dive in. They want to confuse you. And ultimately, that's not the way Cody approaches any of this. He tries to make it simple, easy to understand, and helps you really get a big picture view of what you need to be doing if you want to see success with your physical transformation. So love the guy, love the show, and I hope you did as well. Now, if you enjoyed the show, please do me one small favor. Lots of people thinking about physique transformation, about building muscle, shedding body fat in the new year. If you know somebody that is looking to make real change in their physique in 2024, please share this episode with them. Help them better understand the process and help them understand how good coaches like Cody can help you get amazing results in not only next year, but the years to come. So my friend, as always, thank you so much for your support. If you're still listening, love and appreciate you. Thank you for your support over the years. It means more to me than you'll ever know. I hope you have a safe and happy new year, and we'll be back next year with our next episode. Take care.